Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word, which speaks into all times, all places, all situations. Open our hearts and minds to hear your words through the word today. May it bear much fruit to your glory and serve to grow your kingdom in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today is the last week of Lent before we complete our journey next week with Passion or Palm Sunday when Jesus enters into Jerusalem and into the events of Holy Week. And as we reflect today, I'm inviting you to keep in mind the context into which these readings speak to us in this time, in this place. And there are three aspects I want us to be mindful of as we reflect together. Firstly, this very strange season we're going through, we're still very much journeying through living with the realities of a global pandemic. Little did I know as I prepared for this message that once again, COVID would have prevented us from being able to gather together in person. So that's the first thing I want us to be mindful of. The second thing is the post-Christian culture in which we find ourselves living. Christianity is no longer the religion supported by the masses. We are becoming more and more a minority in our own culture. And this is even more the case since the experiences of the past two years. And thirdly, I want us to be mindful that we have been entrusted with the privilege, but also the great responsibility of rebuilding Christ's church here from the ashes. We've been through a major division and a significant loss in our numbers. And whilst this is ultimately good news for the good news, the everyday realities of resourcing what God's calling us to be and to do is far from easy. The good news is that God has given us all that we need. He always does. The bad news is we have to be willing to fully entrust it back to God for his purposes. And that takes us way outside our comfort zones and it asks that we release our need to feel and be in control. Our three readings today were written in very different times and each speaks to a situation placed at a point in the world and in history that is far from our experiences in Mornington and Mount Martha in 2022. Nevertheless, scripture being the inspired word of God always manages to reach across time and space and speak into whatever situation we may be in. And this is certainly the case today. Let's start with Isaiah today, chapter 43, verses 18 to 21. And the context into which Isaiah spoke has some notable similarities to our context. 
the, pe the Hebrew people were facing a time of rebuilding after a time of destruction and exile. And they weren't sure if they were up to the task that was ahead of them. Their immediate past was the fall of Jerusalem and their exile in Babylon. And before that was the time of their greatest strength and independence and glory as a nation, the time of the monarchy of King David and his descendants. But now, as Isaiah brings them the word of God, the Persians have liberated them from the Babylonians and they've encouraged them to go home to Palestine and to rebuild their city and their temple. Some have grown comfortable and prosperous in Babylon and they aren't that keen to give it all up and start again amongst the ruins of Jerusalem. Others are still poor and dispirited, but don't see much reason to think they'll fare any better with nothing but what must have appeared like a, a city-sized jigsaw puzzle to look forward to. I think uh, it's, it must have been something like the Ikea version of rebuilding a city, a huge pile of bits and pieces, an Allen key and instructions in Egyptian hieroglyphics. It just seems so daunting. Where would you start? But there seem to be two dominant mindsets in play here. Some of the people were looking back to the immediate past and they felt crushed by it, disillusioned, disheartened, overwhelmed. And others were looking back further to the glory days and wondering how they could be recovered. And into the mix, this mix of fear and longing comes the word of God through the prophet Isaiah. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Wonderful imagery. They're being told by God not that they should forget the past because remembering will do them no good, but that they need to let go of the kinds of remembering that won't help them. Now in both these mindsets, in these ways of remembering, there was a trap because both could close people's minds and hearts to what God might do next. There were those who remembered only the traumas of the recent past and felt doomed by them. We'll never recover. It's all lost. We've been broken and damaged too much and we'll live out our days crippled and dismayed as we slide towards our inevitable demise. And then there were those whose memories were still gripped by the glories of the more distant past. Oh, for the good old days, when we were strong, we were prosperous, we were respected and influential and a force to be reckoned with. What we have to do is to get back to that, to rebuild and restore the glory days. But what Isaiah and the Apostle Paul, after him, is reminding us today 
is that both of these positions, these mindsets are unhealthy and they paralyze our hearts and our imaginations. And they have the potential to quench the Spirit of God. One group despairingly believes that God is no longer capable of doing anything with us. And so they expect and prepare for nothing. The other group believes that the only thing that God could want to do is what we've done before. And so they prepare for that only and close off to any other possibilities. Perhaps we need to hear the words, do not remember the former things. More like, do not be dictated to by the former things. And don't let your expectations be controlled by things of old. See, I am doing a new thing. Similarly, Paul is saying in our Philippians reading today, once upon a time I was the model Israelite citizen, a law-abiding biblical scholar who was respected and looked up to as a leader in the community. Then I was knocked to the ground and struck blind and I lost everything when God decided to do a new thing. And now I don't worry about what I once was or how things used to be because they don't set the course for the future. The future lies in the promise of God who does new and unexpected and even unimaginable things. So for us here, yes, we've been battered and bruised and we may not be bringing over, brimming over with optimism and creativity and energy, but God speaks through Isaiah and Paul straight to us today. Don't let that dictate what you think God can do. For the God of our Lord Jesus Christ is a God of resurrection and a God who brings life out of death and destruction. God is not limited by our levels of optimism or energy. All we're called to do is open ourselves to God's new possibilities and allow God to work in us and through us. Our past may have valuable lessons to teach us, but it doesn't teach us anything about what God is going to do next other than to expect the unexpected and to open ourselves to the new possibilities of whatever God may choose to raise from our grave. So then without pretending that the past didn't happen or that it hasn't affected us, let's, with the Apostle Paul, forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead, pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Today's reading from John's Gospel tells a story of extravagant giving. Giving that made Judas just as uncomfortable as it probably would have made us if we'd been there. Jesus was in the town of Bethany on his way to Jerusalem 
for the last time. He'd been there many times, but this was his final trip to Jerusalem. And he stopped just a few kilometres outside the town in this little village of, called Bethany. And he stayed to spend the evening with Lazarus, the one whom he'd raised from the dead not long before, and Mary and Martha, Lazarus's sisters. And Jesus' good friends were there as well. And they made dinner, they caught up, and they shared in fellowship. We don't know much about the conversations that went on around Lazarus's dinner table that night, but by the time our story unfolds in the section we read today, the story of the uncomfortable, generous giving, it seems that almost everyone is on the same page. Almost everyone knows what is going to happen next for Jesus and probably for Lazarus too. When Lazarus came back to life and walked out from his tomb, the word about Jesus spread like wildfire. This was Jesus' most incredible miracle yet, the defeat of death itself. And it caused many people to believe in him. But as more began to believe, others began to fear. It didn't take long for the Pharisees to ramp up their plot to have Jesus killed quite sure that if they didn't stop him, the Romans would destroy everything that they held dear. The very act, it's quite ironic, the very act of giving life to Lazarus was the catalyst that led towards Jesus' death. And gathered around that dinner table that night, Lazarus's family seemed to know what was coming. They were about to lose their dear friend. They may even have known that Lazarus's life was at risk. Having been raised from the dead, he was as much at risk to the status quo as the man who'd raised him. The time was short and the grief was plentiful as they broke bread together that night in Bethany. Scarcity and abundance are the twin themes of Lent. Throughout this season, we've walked through wilderness, challenging our reliance on the comfortable and the known, replacing old habits with new disciplines. We travel the road toward Jerusalem week after week, ever mindful of the suffering that we will find there. It's a slow, plodding course and one that we know well. Soon we will stand at the foot of the cross and watch as our Lord breathes his last. Viewed from only one direction, this is a very dark season. And yet we're always mindful of how the story ends. We walk through the shadow of the Lenten Valley knowing that while Jesus' time on earth is scarce, God's grace is, as always, abundant. Even as we struggle in the wilderness, God is at work making rivers in the desert. Easter is just around the corner. 
In today's gospel, we're treated to two different ways of being in the world. Two examples of how one might confront scarcity. Here we learn that people are people throughout all time and in all places. The Pharisees and eventually the Roman authorities feel their stronghold threatened and in the face of loss, they chose to tighten their grip. By plotting to kill Jesus, they hoped to stop their sense of helplessness in its tracks and assert what control they could. Mary, on the other hand, had a different approach. We don't know exactly what she was feeling when she slipped from the table and knelt at Jesus' feet with a pound of expensive perfumed oil. However, her silence seems to say something on its own. In gratitude for her brother's life, in grief for her friend's life, in total fear for the future, words failed Mary. So instead of speaking, she lavished her Lord with an absurdly abundant gift, perfume that would cost as much as a year's total wages. This was indeed a profuse gesture, sensuous and rich and effusive. John tells us that the whole room filled with fragrance as Mary anointed Jesus. And we can imagine the cringing gestures of some of the disciples, including Judas, looked away from her, lost for words, absorbed in her task and using her own hair to wipe Jesus' feet. It was just all too much. But in this story, this little vignette that we get today, we see that there are at least two ways of dealing with scarcity. We can seek to cling to and control what we can, or we can give all we've got. Have you got best china? Have you got a dinner set that uh, you've inherited perhaps or you saved up for and bought years ago? Sits in the cupboard, but you never really get it out because it's too good to use in case you crack it or break it? The best china. Lots of families have the best china. I remember John's grandparents is quite a long time ago now. They were both in their 90s and uh, they were so tight with money. And uh, John's mum said to them one day, What's, why are you so concerned about money? And they said, we're saving for a rainy day. And uh, <laughs> we didn't dare have the, um, we didn't dare want to share with them that, you know, they were well in their 90s by this stage. The rainy day was, you know, probably there if it was coming at all. Well, I've used these two examples because it helps us to reflect on how we see God. Because God has given us the best China right now. And he wants us to use it now to celebrate and enjoy it and to welcome others to the banquet that he's providing. Saving for a rainy day is pretty useless when it's pouring now. 
we see that understanding in Mary in this very generous gesture of love and devotion. Sometimes our culture and perhaps our human nature pressures us only to take measured risks. And of course, in many ways, this is wise. But our God is not a God of cost-benefit analysis. No. As Saint Ignatius of Loyola told us many years ago in that beautiful prayer, our God calls us to love without counting the cost. It would be a brave Lenten discipline to engage the final days of this season over the next couple of weeks, but also this season in which we find ourselves as a church. To spend this time as Mary would, to love generously, just because, to meet our impulse to give abundantly, just as our God gives, and to embrace it. Knowing that what we do know about how the story ends and about how God will always make rivers in the desert. Wouldn't we rather stand with Mary in the perfumed room than with the Pharisees in their closed off chambers of power? So how do you deal with scarcity? How do you reflect God's abundance mindset? Do you lavish your best on Jesus? and kneel at his feet in adoration, despite what anyone else thinks. That very important jar we're hanging on to at all costs. When and for whom will we break it? The time is short. The cross awaits. Pain is coming, but for this moment, we have Jesus. What will we do while we have him with us? The Lord be with you.